The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. This is Pastor Monty, and we are here at Truth Time. I'm sitting here with a co-host, uh, Pastor Josh, and we are going to, um, well, before we get into to, uh, the normal uh, scope of business here, we're uh, just a, a brief announcement that today is the last of the podcast for season four. Right, season four. And so we Finale will, episode of season four. Yeah, the finale episode of season four, and so we'll be ending up our discussion in the book of Colossians, uh, as we've started the book of Colossians, and also we'll be um, not terminating, but but um, putting on hold our discussion in regard to relationships today. And so uh, summer is upon us. For those of you who are keeping track of a calendar, uh, yesterday was Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, that is traditionally the beginning of summer. And as we've been looking at our calendars and the things that are going on, summer is quickly filled up. And so this will be the uh, last podcast on of uh, season four. So with that being said, let's jump right into the Christ Factor. Now, we've been in the book of Colossians, where in chapter 1, we left off uh, with verse 14. In um, actually, in verse uh, 13, remember that uh, the Apostle Paul ends his thought with um, his statement that uh, Christ, uh, we've been brought into the kingdom of God uh, because of Christ, and we have redemption of sins. And then in uh, verse 15, he begins this, this uh, comment, and, and Josh and I are going to just have a lot of fun with this because this, this, is a, a, uh, this is a great passage in understanding who Jesus Christ is and sets him apart. Remember that the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the issue of Gnosticism. And this statement here is specifically placed in here in order to address uh, the Gnosticism. And so, uh, starting at verse 15. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones of powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him, for he before is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. 
and we'll kind of hold it right there because that is a mouthful there. Yeah, there's a lot in there. In order to digest. So let's begin with just taking a, a look at the issue of uh, uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation. So it was, uh, it was from this passage, and that's the reason why uh, there was some debate later uh, in theological circles that there was some debate as to whether Christ was actually uh, created or not. Mm -hmm. And that is not what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. What the Apostle Paul is addressing is that Jesus Christ is the, the uh, visible representation of God uh, who is invisible. And so in Christ, we see all of the characteristics, all the, all the attributes. Uh, in Christ, we see all of those things uh, come to fruition. Uh, in, 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 it is in him that we then understand that, that he is supreme over all. He is before all things, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Um, you know, the, years and years and years ago, I did, um, I'm dating myself now. Uh, for those of you who uh, have a background or an understanding of trying to understand the cults, I, uh, when I lived in Hawaii many, many, many years ago, I had opportunity to um, to listen to a uh, to a Walter Martin. Oh, really? Who was uh, you know like Walt in person? Yeah, yeah, in person. He was he was speaking, and he hmm. was talking about the issue of UFOs and that type of thing. Yep. Um, even back then, uh, Walter Martin was uh, a uh, specialist dealing with cults and the occult, and and uh, fascinating uh, individual to to look at he's one of the the precursors of those that would address these types of issues so so he uh and when he spoke one of the things that he talked about is is that uh, this passage lends itself to the understanding that regardless of what it is that we see around us um all things are um all things are subject to the authority of jesus christ yeah, and what we see right now um, happening in the world, this has been going on for for some time, but but it's coming to a little bit of a head, where we see these uh, we see uh, the, the military in various uh, agencies within the military wrestling with uh, UFOs, UFOs and USOs, so. Mm -hmm. uh, Unidentified flying objects, unidentified submerged objects. And there are instances throughout uh, recorded history in the U.S. within the last 100 years, uh, World War I, World War II, where um, people have reported some rather strange sightings of things that they just couldn't explain. And so there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about what's, What's up with that, and why do we have so many uh, sightings at this time? And is there a reason for that? And, and that's a whole other subject. But my point being that e even if that's true, and this is what Walter Martin said, even if that's true, e those those beings, whatever they might be, are still subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. Yeah, if God is who he claims to be, then that would have to be true, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and uh, we could get into, we won't because we simply don't have time, but we could get into uh, discussions about, uh, about what they might represent from a cross-dimensional standpoint. And I've stated this before, and I guess I would state it again, that the, the, um, we have a very limited perception of what is around us. And we know from Scripture, Scripture gives us uh, glimpses, uh, indications, particularly in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah. Uh, they, gave us, they give us a glimpse of the fact that we 
do not perceive everything that is around us. And, you know, we go about our daily business and we're not aware, for example, that there are angels all around you. If you're a believer, if you follow, um, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have angels surrounding you that are protecting you. But the world in which we live in is also filled with uh, the demonic as well, those fallen angels that were cast down to the earth and uh, they roam. If you look at the book of Job, for example, uh, Satan represents himself as, uh, you know, as, uh, going around uh, looking for those who we may devour. Um, so um, we we do not perceive everything that's going on around us. And my personal belief is is that much of what we see happening in the world of UFOs and what uh, have you uh, involve uh, cross-dimensional situations and there are vortexes around the world where it seems more likely that that's what's taking place where you you can have uh, things that come out of one dimension into our dimension and uh, give us the ability to see things it's an interesting discussion but the the whole point of it being that um jesus christ is is uh, all those things are in submission to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think when you go back to the text and you look at the term, um, let's see, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That statement um, has been used, like inappropriately, many, many times mm-hmm. uh, by various cults, incidentally, um, to say that he is the first created. And we... Yeah, I just and, alluded to that. And we have to understand that he's not the first created. That statement, firstborn of all creation, specifically has an implication um, in the Eastern in the Eastern context in which it was written in. Specifically, uh, the word is protokos, I think. Let me look that up to be sure, but I think it is. He's addressing Gnosticism in the statement. Yes. Um, let's see here. Yeah. Yep. Protokos or prototokos. Um, And that word, it does mean firstborn, but it carries the context of preeminence. So it's not speaking to it's not speaking to when somebody was born. It's speaking to the rank. Um, And that's what needs to be understood in the Eastern world. When this was written, you could be the firstborn in rank without being the first to be born. And so this, like Jacob, for instance. Right. I mean, he stole that. He stole the birthright. But nonetheless, he was the second to be born in the line, but he was the firstborn son because, you know, he stole the rank of it. Right. Um, And that's what that term means. So the firstborn of all creation is not a statement of, um, strangely, of birth order, even though it seems like it would be. it's a statement of preeminence. It's a statement of rank that he, that all creation. So that would include aliens or whatever is out there. Right. All creation falls in submission to Christ. That's right. that's what it means. Um, the other aspect of it is this concept of the image of the invisible God, which I think is um, interesting from the standpoint that in the book of Genesis. It is noted that man is made in the image of God, right? Right. So here we have Christ being presented as the image of the invisible God. Um, yeah. So it's like go back, look at Paul's theology and look at the concept. There's a correlation here. The point I'm making is there's a correlation with Paul's theology that Christ is the new Adam. Right. Adam was made in the image of God. Yes. He states that in Romans. Right. And Christ is the new Adam. And specifically, he is the image of God. Um, Now, that's not to say that Adam is the would be the spitting image or whatever. But it's to say that uh, there's a subversion of the old order. That's taking place here where you where man was the image of God. Man is the firstborn in creation. 
uh, again, let's point out, man was not the first to be birthed in creation. Right. Right. right? Of other other animals were the first to be birthed, um, plants, all these different things, you know. But but man was the firstborn. He was preeminent Pre in creation. Right. And now there's a statement that's being said that uh, man, in general, is no longer that. But in fact, Christ is that. Christ is the image of God, not man. Um, so specifically, Jesus is the image of God. Specifically, Jesus is preeminent. All creation falls under him. Um, and not just generally man anymore. So I think that there's even a larger statement. And then, of course, the, the tertiary and probably the most important point here is underscoring the, what, the reason why Paul connects this is because Gnosticism is against creation. Right. And it's Gnosticism, Gnosticism is specifically trying to say that Jesus is, does not have a physical body that he that he's not connected to creation and that his goal is to release us from creation and Paul is saying actually Jesus is the most important thing in creation um, and that you can't release uh, the create the creationness from Jesus because he is the most important thing in creation, more important than what you once thought was the most important thing in creation, which right. was man. Right. And, and, uh, it's really so, petty, but. so it, well, in, in Gnosticism, so then the, the basic, uh, they saw creation as, as evil or a step away from true, uh, the true God, which is uh, spirit and knowledge and untouchable. Right. And to say that Jesus Christ, so, so the Apostle Paul is saying now, no, Jesus Christ is preeminent in all things, and in him we see the living God. And then he goes on and he says something really fascinating, and, and uh, I don't know that you spent much time here, Josh, but I love this because it, it states this, um, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things are held together. Now, the reason why that is such a fascinating uh, passage is because it speaks to the um, it speaks to the physics of the Earth in which we now understand. It certainly could. We didn't we didn't understand before how it is that um, the world around us operated, and now we know that with uh, with the study of physics that there. You know there are atoms and there are uh, neutrons from protons and and all of those things and, and and everything in life as we understand it is made up in one form or another of uh, these neutrons and protons that that go around an atom, right? And and while we can recognize the physics of it, so we recognize neutrons, protons, we recognize that aspect of it, and in fact we've learned to. You know, we've learned to understand how things are put together. For example, there's, there's, you know, there's only one, there's only one molecule between uh, gold and lead. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's and, why, and that's the reason why, for many years, alchemists, alchemists yeah. were trying to figure out a formula by which they could turn lead. So the the original. Uh, the the original uh, um, purpose of alchemy was to try to figure out chemically how to change lead into gold. Well, and so people may not know what alchemy is, but alchemy is the precursor to, to chemistry. Yes, and and so and and uh, and so the formula it was finally a, a I believe a Japanese physicist was able to figure it out. Um, How to turn lead to gold? Yes, hmm. yes, but the problem oh, like gold plating is that what but, you're the, about? but well, to change the structure hmm. atomically. So you can go in, you can atomically. They know how to change atomically uh, lead into gold by changing that one molecule. Well, they know what would change it, but are they? They've actually done it. They've actually done it. But the problem, hmm. <laughs> the the problem is, is that it's so expensive mm, that it's actually not worth it's it. It's not worth. Uh, it's not worth them. But but they they've known how to do it for uh, for uh, several years now because because it was discovered. 
So we understand all those types of things. We, we, we understand the dynamics, you know, when you look into, for example, how nuclear fission works and energy is created from that. We understand all those things, but, we, but what scientists don't understand, even to this day, is how everything is held together. And Scripture tells us how everything is held together in Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, wow, Pastor Ronte, that's really a simplistic view. I don't think it's simplistic at all. We understand from Scripture very well that Scripture addresses the, the creation and the significance of creation and that all those things are held together in Jesus Christ. I think it's profound. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us how. No. It tells us who. Yes, and that's what's important. Um, there is something. See, I don't know. You said you don't know if I've spent time here. I don't know if you've spent time here um, dealing with the Higgs-Boson. Do you know what that is, the Higgs-Boson particle? The God particle. I've, I've heard of it. There's something called atomic glue that right. they basically, scientists have been trying to unlock this thing called, called the Higgs-Boson particle where they're trying to figure out how it is that these atoms, which are constantly spinning around each other, right. even at the quark level, are like not flying apart. And they can't figure it out. So they've right. come up with a description of it. Um, the God particle or the Higgs-Boson particle or the various things, atomic glue, and they don't know how that works. They just know that it does. Right, right. And that's my point. Right. So so there is something, there's something that's holding things together. We don't know what it is according to science. The scripture says that God holds things together, specifically that Jesus holds things yes. together, that it's related specifically to matter. And I think that you could take this and say that it's, you know, that you could talk about it as metaphorical, except for the fact that this passage is a direct attack on Gnosticism right, and, and Gnostic creation. theology, which is speaking about creation. So this is about creation and all of creation being held together. I don't think that Paul um, had a, like, hyper-scientific, hyper-developed thought process as he was writing this, you know, thinking, well, you see the atoms, they blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, he didn't yeah. understand no, that. I'm, I'm I, not saying that. I don't think he even understood the idea that it, without these things, everything would fly apart. I don't think he understood that either. But I do think that it was revealed to him that the reason why everything comes together um, specifically forms and has order and has beauty and so on and so forth is because of God. Yes, that's correct. And, I, and, and then... Christ and, specifically, and, and what we've we've talked about. So, so what we're talking about, um, you can go back and and uh, there are there are scientists out there, and all we ever hear is you know that science is in disagreement with scripture. But there are many reputable science. I remember, for example, when we were uh, uh, back uh, in the Trinity days, when we had Doctor Chittick come. And address. I know you're all about that guy. You know, very, very sharp. Address the issues surrounding uh, creation, and and again, how God spoke creation into existence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we so we have we have knowledge today that we didn't have. Paul didn't have in his day, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you that he may not have. You know. Uh, ben and Einstein from the sure. from the idea of you know understanding physics and all that stuff, but um, he understood the sovereignty of God, yeah, and he understood who Jesus Christ is and specifically how uh, how he addressed it towards the thing that they were going through in his day, Gnosticism. He goes through and he carries that thought forward then to say that not only is Jesus Christ the that which holds everything together. So all things are in him. All things were created because of him. He holds everything together. But then he dropped, but then he, he ties it all together then and says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead so that in, that in everything he might have supremacy. And this then speaks to what Josh was alluding to earlier, that Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Paul refers to in the book of Romans, 
in his theological understanding, he sees Jesus Christ as the firstborn of of uh, of a new beginning uh, for creation. Yeah, and that Adam is no longer the representation of uh, God's glory, uh, but rather Jesus Christ is. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that that theme runs throughout Scripture, um, you know, obviously and most likely to set up the arrival of of Christ. But Christ is, in a lot of ways, sort of um, the younger sibling, if you will, of of Adam, right? Okay. He's the second. He's the second son. Right. Um. And in your analogy to, for example, Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Well, it's the it's I mean, it's Paul's the way that Paul writes Christ as a character, the way the Holy Spirit writes Christ as a character um, is that, you know, you have the first Adam and the second Adam. Right. And so you you have the intended image of God, which was then marred by by who that was given to the human race. And then you have the second Adam who made the opposite choices right. that, that the first Adam did. So I think that you have a consistency of God's storytelling. And I think that what you really have here is this narrative presence of Christ as being the protagonist of the entirety of Scripture. And that's the idea there, right. is that all of Scripture is there to tell the story of God and His glory— like a song um all the scripture is there to tell the story of god and his glory and specifically that that is done through this one character right and so in that vein he's the firstborn it's a little bit like saying um it's a little bit like saying batman you know like he's not the he's not the first birth in his story he's got parents there's other characters and so on and so forth but his name is on the title of the book Right, his name, like on the on the comic book, it says Batman. It doesn't say Thomas and Martha Wayne. Right, you know, and everything about that story is specifically telling things in order to advance the story of Batman in right. that regard. And so this is the same thing you have, where it's like you've got God, and he's using Christ, who is essentially, mm, it's a difficult term here, but I'm going to say Avatar. It's not the right term. Um, it's a little bit sloppy, uh, so I'm borrowing from a I'm borrowing from, you are. from Eastern thought. But um, God writes a character in His story of Himself um, using a character that represents Himself fully, and that character is Jesus. And so Jesus is both Him and is distinct from Him at the same time because He's a character. Um, but then he's also fully him in the sense that, you know, he's the entire representation, the visible image of the invisible God. Right. And, and, and that, that story is, if, and so, so again, what, what we would emphasize is for you to, as a disciple of Christ, for you to understand the entirety of the story and the significance of the story in regard to mankind as a creation you have to familiarize yourself with both the Old and New Testaments. Well, Christ doesn't even make sense without the Old Testament. Right. And that's why there are many people. But, but I, I, I emphasize that because there are churches out there uh, and, and many believers out there who give no credence at all to the Old Testament. Right. But you can't fully understand the significance of the work of Christ without reading the entire story. Well, there, there are no. Uh, what, what are those notes that people use? Cliff notes. There are no cliff notes here. You have to go back and read the entire story in order to get the significance. Or I think maybe spark notes today. But the thing is, even that term Christ. Right. Even that term Christ, it means the Jewish Messiah. Yes, that's correct. If Jesus isn't the Jewish Messiah, then what is he? If we don't, if we don't understand the need for blood sacrifice which we get from the Old Testament. Right. If we don't understand that he, the fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah would do, which we understand 
from the Old Testament, then Jesus is a guy who died needlessly on the cross. Yes, he rose again on the third day, but that's just a weird event. Yeah, it's it's an anomaly in history. So what the Apostle do, Paul is starting to do now is he's starting to bring to closure the idea of the the cosmic significance of who Christ is and narrow it down specifically to the church, that he is the firstborn in everything, he is preeminent, but he is also therefore the head of the church. Right. The church being that the, those who are going to be drawn out from from the world and are going to recognize his preeminence and are going to be spiritually reborn. And so you, the significance being that you must understand that that uh, under the second under the first Adam, our our birthright, our the spiritual aspect of of uh, who we were, was was thrown out of uh, was thrown out of whack. It's out of keter, as it were. And Jesus, when he comes back and we align ourselves with Christ, we he is uh, puts the spiritual back in the preeminent place as God's creation. Did you know that the this is kind of a side note, but interesting for our discussion. Did you know that the term off keter or off kilter? is a direct correlation to Kabbalic um, thought. It wouldn't surprise me. It's the idea, like the, it's the idea that you have to have, uh, like in Eastern mysticism, you have sure, to have all the chakras sure. aligned, right? Yeah, yeah. And Keter is, is specifically that, that alignment. Right. In, in Kabbalah. Anyway. Well, we've thrown in Avatar. We can throw in <laughs> right. out, of, out of Keter. Sure. Um, so we're going to end our discussion of Colossians right here, that Jesus Christ, preeminent in all things, he is also the head of the church, which is established of those who give themselves uh, to be disciples to him, yeah. of Christ because we are redeemed through uh, his blood shed on the cross of Calvary. And so we'll end our discussion of Colossians here and pick it up when we pick up on season five. Wow, season five. Let's uh, take a look and uh, continue our discussion in regard to relationships. Now, our discussion in regard to relationships should be interesting today because I, I wasn't planning on bringing this to, to a to a close and there's certainly more to room for discussion yeah. in regard to relationships with uh with uh, spouses because the marriage relationship is the preeminent relationship uh, that that people will have in their lives now we're discussing other types of relationships but uh, but from a very practical standpoint the relationship that we have with our spouses is most significant. And we've talked about the difference between um, men and women and what have you, so we're not going to rehash that. But but what I would say is, is that what we want to discuss today is that not only is it the primary relationship, but, but it's the first relationship of those that we're discussing where there is uh, f for... Uh, for sake of discussion, there is equality in the relationship. Okay. In the in the relationship between between God and His creation, cl clearly we're not equal to God. Right. And we have that relationship, and but but there's not that equality that is there. Um, in the relationship that that exists between children and parents, again a unique relationship. But it is not a relationship of equality, hmm. and we're not, I'm not talking about the I'm not talking about the the uh, the fact that as your children grow, they grow into adulthood. You, you you know you are to to develop your communication skills and your relationship with your children as they become adults. But what will always be there is they will be your children. Okay. And, and so, you know, whether, 
and I know this is hard for you, Josh, but but from a relationship standpoint, we are not equals. In in because of that dynamic that is there. I mean, I just disagree. I, and you're welcome to. But I I think I I think you're, I think that you're making category statements that don't belong together. I think you're mixing apples and oranges. Like when you talk about the how do you mean? I, yeah, describe it. When you, you talk about so when you talk about the difference between God and man, you're talking about there being an ontological difference, right? So God is an apple, whereas man is an orange, right? Now he's made in God's image. In the sense that uh, he is a fruit. I was going to say, so maybe he's just a different variety of apple. Whereas, where well, but not. He's not. Perhaps he's genetically modified. Um, <laughs> in any case, um, whereas the what you, what you're not going to get is you're not going to get the um, you're not going to get the apple ever being able to self-propitiate itself you know you know josh that that could be there could be something there um because we were genetically modified because of sin and so we are god is the original pure and we are gmos yeah i mean that's <laughs> and that's basically what i said um so so it's different we're derivative and you're never going to you're never going to get anything back right that's you're never going to be able to get back to to perfection because we are by nature derivative god is not okay so there's that so that is a different category than uh parents and, parents children. and children so describe to me where you think i'm well an apple is an apple is an here. apple and when it when its seeds you know grow they become apples it's not less of an apple than the app than the other apple. So what you're talking about is the description between rank and substance. That's with, fine. With God, there's a difference in substance, but between parents and children, there's no difference in substance, but there is a difference in rank. That's fine. Now that rank is uh, only for a certain time. So. The responsibility stays, but the rank changes. Like a child doesn't have to respect the rank anymore of the parent. They do have to respect the... They are called to honor that rank. Yes, but that's not the same thing as following that rank. Well, no, you're going to make your own choices as an adult. So there's... So for instance... And you don't follow what, I, you, what I suggest without consequence. Would you agree... That a child needs to be that a child doesn't need to be obedient to their parents once they've left their house, even though they do need to honor their parents. Yes, I agree. But if if you as as a parent, if you have done right by your child, then your child is. Not, I I would hope that as a child, uh, if you've done right, your child is not going to do things that. Uh, are detrimental. Yeah, of Although course. Although that's not nowadays, that's not necessarily true. Well, of course, I mean, of course, that's going to be the one. So the point, the point I'm making is, is that there is no ontological difference. Um, there, there is a functional difference, and that functional difference is a transitory difference. It changes over time. Whereas, uh, whereas when you're, so you can't really compare it to the relationship between God and man. God, he has a functional difference and an ontological difference. Yeah, I don't agree, disagree with that. I was just saying that that the uniqueness of the marriage relationship is that you don't have the same situation that you have in your relationship with God, and you don't have the same situation that you have with your children from, from the outset. Now, your relationship, as we've discussed, with your children needs to needs to mature and and will change and evolve uh, into with into a relationship where there should uh, you know where there where where there is uh, I wouldn't say equality but where there's parity in how it is that you would interact yeah that, that the 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 major difference is that the the relationship that exists between husband and wife uh, starts out. 
Well, see, so the relationship between husband and wife is internal to to God, right? Because God within himself is has essentially what the marriage relationship looks like. There is an there is um You're talking about the function of the Trinity. Yeah, there's a similarity or there's a complete sameness to the ontology of the persons within the Trinity. They're they're one essence, one substance, right? Right. But they're different persons right. with different functions. That is what a marriage is. Whereas with children, they or no, that's the same thing. Like with children and adults, right? But children aren't. Children are well, much like God and man, in the sense that children aren't um, part of the same ontological substance, if you can call it that, of the marriage. Okay. So, like, I am not. Um, we use we use this terminology within our family of like McGarry 1.0, McGarry 2.0, right. McGarry 3.0, right. right? And that's to describe the different families that have like branched off. I came from McGarry 1.0, but that is not my substance. No, I no. I was always meant to go out from, and always and always meant to, as the scriptures say, to leave and cleave. Right to go out from that's not that's not my that's oh, not where I'm supposed to be. Absolutely, and 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 so as we revert back to understanding this dynamic that exists between parent and child, and it is the parent's responsibility to bring the child to the point that they can do that successfully. Yeah, it's literally the parent's responsibility to let go of the child. Yes, that's correct. Um, and now, and we discussed many parents have difficulty with that. Right, right. Whereas in the marriage relationship, it's the responsibility of the husband and wife to hold on. Yes, to each other. So there's so there's a different function, let alone ranking system. And I, so we're talking about – so I'm trying to break it down here. So we're talking about the difference between the nature – of the relationship, the function of the relationship, and the um, order of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what that means is, though, and and that's where we start our discussion then, because what that means is, is the relationship that you have with your spouse is different from the standpoint of everything we've discussed up to this point, because you are it's unique. You are to start out. In that relationship, recognizing that that as a husband you're not superior to your wife, as a wife you're not superior to your husband. Now we can talk about the roles that exist, and we will talk about the roles that exist in having a successful uh, communication between husband and wife. But relationship-wise, um, the dynamic is unique. Indifferent. Well, you're not superior to your wife in uh, substance, right? You're not superior to your wife in essence. You are uh, not necessarily superior to your wife in function either, but you are superior to your wife in order. Because – and so the clarific and we were getting there, but the, the clarification of that – is that's not Josh and I talking. That's understanding from a scriptural standpoint God's design. Right. Well, and that's, again, you go back to the Trinity, and what you see is that no member of the Trinity is better than the other. Right. But they submit to each other in various things. And 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 so we, as we continue this discussion, not today, but... For later on, kind of an appetizer, we will at some point as we narrow down how how uh, communication and and uh, the relationship works inside of the marriage relationship. Submission is a, is an integral part of it, and that's why and and so that's why I say like in function, uh, it's in function. Sometimes you're superior, sometimes you're not. It depends on what makes it most functional. Right. And that needs to be determined by the husband and wife. But in terms of order, the scripture is very clear. Man was created first, therefore he is the firstborn, right, going back to Colossians. Right. He's the firstborn in the relationship. And so even though he is not necessarily always functionally superior, and he's definitely not superior in terms of his essence— in terms of 
how he's going to answer to God, he is superior. Right. Now, I don't know. You might call that superior. You know, the English language is sloppy that way. To me, that kind of seems like a bum rap, not <laughs> like you're the one who gets to answer for all the problems that happen. Well, I, I mean, you know. yeah, no, I, I agree. And when we do marriage counseling and we talk to uh, those who are intended to be husband and wife, sometimes it's difficult for them to grasp that in God's design of things, that this is an important thing to understand. That in God's design of things, the, the height of the responsibility for the uh, for the health of the relationship because of his position uh, as God's creation um, falls on the man. Right. And that's, we and, talked a little bit about that last time, yeah. Right, and, and whether or not the, the, the marriage is going to be successful is dependent upon men stepping up and in, in, uh, in understanding that responsibility and actively work towards that in the relationship. Well, and that's not to say that, again, in function, there won't be responsibility on the woman and definitely not in essence. If a person – if you're in a relationship with your your spouse, right, and they are not doing everything they can in their personhood, so with their very essence to make the relationship wor- work, and they are not in their function, their mechanics of the day – if they're not going about their life in a way that's productive toward the working of the relationship, um, then they will answer to God for that. However, the if if you're if you're that woman in the relationship and the man is not doing what he's supposed to in his rank of the relationship in the order in which it was intended, right? He will ultimately pay the price for it, even if you. Uh, even if you are the one who's mostly not doing what you're supposed to. Right. Because that's the order. That's like God the determined that because man, at least as far as I know, God determined different people view it differently than me, but God determined that because man was the one that sin came through, man is the one who answers for it. Yeah. And for some people that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Some people don't want to have that present, but I bring this up because I think it's important to understand that, first of all, the uniqueness of the dynamic that exists between husband and wife, but also to recognize, as Josh has pulled out and and, uh, brought to the forefront, the roles that are given by God are unique to this relationship. Right. And, and, And there are responsibilities within that. Now, how you actually make that work, and I've... I've said this before in counseling. I don't think I'm repeating myself. Well, yes, I am repeating myself because I remember us talking about this briefly, that the idea is is that you're not supposed you're not supposed to get married until you have somewhat your life in order. Yeah, to some degree. And because if you're if your life is chaotic and dysfunctional, what do you think you're going to bring to the marriage? I think that there needs to be a distinction made between having having in order what you have versus having in order what you don't have. And I think that a lot of times, especially from older generations, people will think that if you don't have a future set of things in order, like that you don't have a house, you don't have a car, you don't have money, you don't have these things, that therefore your life isn't in order – and the scripture is really, really clear that the only thing that matters is what you do with what you have, not, you know, tomorrow's problems. Yes, to a degree. But if you're going to come to a – so now you're going to so – okay, so you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, you've decided that you don't want to be by yourself any longer. Yeah. And so you go out and find somebody, pick somebody off the street. Mm-hmm. You know, run an ad in the paper. Okay. Jump on the internet. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. You know. Swipe right. Yep. There you go. So you find somebody. Yep. Who you think fits the bill. And you say, let's get together and see if we can make this work. Mm -hmm. If you don't have your life in order, 
then that which you're stepping into um, to bring two individuals into a relationship where there's going to be harmony. Yeah, a rhythm of order. A, a rhythm of order. The, if your life is chaotic, your relationship with that individual is going to be chaotic. Yeah, all I'm saying is you don't need those other things. You just need to be ordered. Yes, and in my experience has been, now you're talking about old people, my experience as an older person mm-hmm. is that people who their life is chaotic uh, don't operate in a form of ordered chaos. I have to think about that one. Yeah, all 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 aspects. Uh, my experience has been all aspects of their life are are chaotic. The major aspects are chaotic. Yeah, I I'd have to think about that one just because I think it may be giving people too much credit. Like I I think that. Well, I always try to I always try to add in an element of grace. Well, I just think that most people that uh, I'll just be honest now, okay. Not that I'm ever not, but I just think that most people who are getting married probably shouldn't be getting married at where they are in their life. I don't know that. See, I don't know that I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I was okay. Like if our I, metric, I would just say, well, I would just say your mother's in my relationship. Okay. Okay. You know, when I when I determined that I had developed to the point that I couldn't develop any further uh and i needed to develop further uh, so god i asked god to provide me somebody who could do that um you know i had a list of things that i went through in and uh your mother's and my first date as it were um what we sat and talked about were the expectations of, of where each of us were to do a, an honest assessment of where we were yeah, and, and where we saw life going and how we might uh, possibly collaborate together on that. Yeah. That was our first date. Yeah. Now, that's, that's deeper. I, I, I Granted, that's unique. Most people don't do that, but your mother and I did. No, I mean, Shayla and I did something similar. Yeah. But the, but what I'm saying is most, like you said, most people don't do that. No, they they get into a relationship with one goal in mind, maybe two, which is to not be lonely, either right. to not be lonely in their genitals or to not be lonely in their daily life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, in fact, it's frowned upon, right? It's frowned upon to think, uh, from a utilitarian standpoint, you know, ever since Shakespeare, it's like you get into a relationship, it's got to be for romance and romance alone. Yeah. Everybody I mean, forgets I, that, you know, Romeo and Juliet died um, <laughs> in a stupid, foolish way. Uh, but in any case, and I, I think a lot of people don't belong in relationship because not because they're incompatible, as I've talked about many times before, I don't believe in compatibility that way. Right. But because. They're not actually in relationship for the right reasons. Yeah, I agree with that. And when we counsel relationships, at least my experience, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience with counseling is almost always in relationships to reorient or sometimes for the first time orient a couple into understanding what the nature of their relationship as a productive thing is going to need to look like. Yeah, I would agree that that's that's an element of of trying to uh of trying to uh bring correction to a relationship that has all kinds of dysfunction in it and yeah. it's kind of like you know you know how it is when uh, i don't know if michelle has has you do this but but rose will will give me a necklace one of those little ugly tiny things that is thin and she'll say um it's knotted, and I can't get the oh, knot Oh, to untangle out. it? And I have to sit down and take a pair of tweezers mm-hmm. and, or a needle yeah. or something and unravel that right. in order to get it so that it's, it's, uh, it's correct in the way it's supposed to be. A lot of the, what I find in, in marriage relationships that are, that are dysfunctional uh, 
is that that's that's what I'm doing. I'm taking and sitting down and taking oh, yeah. a, a fine needle or or something and slowly prying apart. And sometimes you have small misfunctions, and sometimes you have rather large misfunctions. Yeah, we I I usually use that euphemism for counseling. I I feel I feel like that's a good way of speaking about it. I call it untying knots. Sure, yeah, that's what exactly. we're doing. We're untying yeah, knots here. Exactly. Um, the truth is, is that sometimes the best way to untie the knot when it is so mangled is to cut it. You cut it, you pull it apart, and then you tie it back together. And sometimes that's the best way to do it. Sometimes. When, when we were dealing with film, um, I'll go real quickly here, but um, mylar is what it's called. And sometimes you had miles and miles of film reel, right? Right. And there's something called a brain wrap that would happen in theaters when uh, you know when you get that moment where the where you're watching a film and then like it like starts to stutter and then you see it melting on the screen, it's usually because the film is actually stuck because the brain which regulates the film um, going faster or slower so it doesn't get thrown off of its platter is what it's called um, messed up somehow it got knotted. And then it throws the film all over the place, and now the film is like spilled out, and you've got miles and miles and miles of film, and you have to untangle it. Sometimes the best way to deal with that, instead of spending all that time untangling, untangling, mm -hmm. untangling, is to cut it into various parts and then slowly piece it back together and right. spool it back together. And that's very much what counseling is in relationship. Yeah, yeah that's a good analogy. For those of you, Josh is dating himself now. Yeah, um, now everything's not, digital. Not everything is digital back in the day. Back, Back in, in the, the day, day, yep. You know, it was it's a, a very laborious process. So, so when we're dealing with the relationship of of husband and wife, um, each each of the marriage partners uh, have to come together with the understanding that they're taking two separate lives, um, and they're coming together to want to be able to function in equal partnership with with distinct roles. There are distinct utilitarian roles inside of the relationship that need to exist, but neither one is superior to the other. Right. And, and uh, that would probably be a good point to end this discussion, and we'll pick it up uh, later as we talk more about how is it do you then begin to try to uh, recognize those utilitarian roles which necessitate uh, the, the, uh, the ability for the relationship to move forward. I don't know if that was a very clear... <laughs> I don't know how clear that was, but um, we actually have probably what will be the last comments of the year. Uh, Lucy Brown, I have observed that children who honor their parents and their respect for them do well in life, a command with a promise, and parents should not lord it over their grown children. Yeah. I'll throw out there, Lucy, that parents should not lord it over their young children as well. <laughs> Old or young. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, take up this discussion further in Season 5. And uh, probably what will end up happening is I'll have to go back and watch the end of season five, <laughs> uh, season four. So you can remember. So I can remember where to pick up in season five. Um, let's close out uh, just with a quick uh, what's up with that okay. uh, so that we stay on time. Um, you know, in, uh, in... Producer Jasmine wants to play the music. <laughs> She's like looking at the camera, like yeah, like yeah, yeah. What's okay. what's up with that? It. Well, it's the last time she gets to play it for that, that's the whole right. season, that's or right. possibly ever. So in in uh, in Lake Oswego, oh, local in Lake Oswego at Lake at Lake Ridge uh, High School. There, the um, the construction crew was uh, obviously doing some digging for construction, Makes sense, as one does, and they they hit a rock. And it was an unusual... A time capsule. Not a time capsule, ah. but but it turned out... So they thought originally that they turned out that uh, when the, the, the boss looked at it and said, mm, I don't know. So it looks kind of strange. They thought originally it was uh, 
It might be uh, radioactive, like a meteor radioactive thing. Oh. Um, but they did some more research and found out, no, that isn't the case. But what it is, it's a, it, it's, it's a, a rock that is a rare mineral called rhyolite. And, and uh, what they believe happened, what geologists believe happened, is that that rock was, uh, it originated up in uh, uh, Canada and, and up in you know, right. the headwaters there. Right. Um, Somehow got washed down to Well, a they think a glacial, oh. a glacial event took place some 15,000 years ago hmm. where it, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff to unwind here if you're not familiar, but you know, the like the Columbia and the water yeah. those things originate up in Canada. So they can they mine for it there or Well, you can't it's just this it's a two thousand pound rock. Wow. That was floated down on this glacier and ended up stopping there at, in Lake Oswego. Weird. Put, so it put Lake Oswego on the map. Yes, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, there's there's some speculation in that, but but if you haven't studied geology in the region in which we live in, at one point, uh, that's the Portland this, uh, metropolitan area. This region, in Oregon, in the United States. Yeah. For those who in in one point this else. this region was covered by glacial. Um, waters and what have you. Yeah. And, and, and the reason why we had problems with flooding and stuff um, in this area was because the waters were coming so powerfully out of uh, a glacial, uh, up at Glacier National Park and all that, those areas yeah. in Canada, that as they worked their way down, they flooded down into the lower portion here. And that's the reason why all the dams that you see built along the Columbia, mm -hmm. those were all built in order to prevent that so that another Vanport flood would not Yeah, uh, there's lots place. of, like, uh, cities and stuff that are – or not cities, but, like, towns and stuff that are, like, underneath the water because of yeah all that sort of stuff. Glacial is, like, uh, you know, it started in Greece. There's actually a book, Galatians, written from it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh wow! <laughs> nothing, producer Jasmine. Nothing. Uh, okay, All right. Okay, I'm just so. kidding. Okay. Well, I, you know, uh, we have so much uh, material out there for alligators that I thought I would end this. Oh, that makes sense. On, on a uh, on a note, we're gonna change this. What's up with that? It's gonna <laughs> go away, and it's going to be alligator facts with Pastor Monty. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in Florida, in Lee County. The cops were called out because an alligator was loose in a Wendy's parking lot and chasing all the customers. What? Now, the cops weren't sure whether he just really wanted a, a cheeseburger. A square burger. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, he was actually chasing people. Weird. And so they had to capture him. And, and, uh, and I... I I know how to do that because you know I've watched Gator Boys. Of course, um, but uh, but they had to capture because <laughs> the people there at Wendy's, Wendy's were really really afraid. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's what you want to end the year on. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's and alligators. There you go. Okay. That's the world we live in, right there. All right. A lot of it's just a lot of crock. If. <laughs> All right, if you're, if you are someone who is seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, you need Jesus Christ or the Bible, please check out uh, our website at abfpdx.org. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon. We are a member of the Vigilance Radio Network, which is a part of our Vigilance online ministry. Uh, something that ABF does to provide helpful and interesting resources for the church, local and at large. And if you are one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember, please like and subscribe and share this podcast. You have four years of content that can be shared. Um, and it would be helpful for you to hit the notification bell. Um, I say that because uh, our junior producer, Tiffany, doesn't like it when I say hit the notification bell. There's, we have an argument about whether it should be ring the notification bell, but I'm good with hit. Anyway. 
hit the notification, smash that notification <laughs> bell, um, <laughs> because you're not going to see content from us for a while, and this will help you know when we're coming back. Yeah. Um, you can find that content on ABF's YouTube page, Facebook, all that. So take a second to do that so that you can know when we come back. When we come back, most likely, it will be on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Um, but for now, you can still find Pastor Monty on Culture Insanity for now. That show's also going to be taking a break here real soon. And you can find me on uh, HeartScribe Verse by Verse. Uh, go back and check out all the VRN content, including the last Nightlight episode. And um, we will see you soon. Thanks for a good year, Pastor Monty. Uh, and uh, this has been Truth Time. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lathea Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the